Amen. I'm going to start this morning off with a bang uh, and say something that probably most of the men in here will like if they're being honest, and most of the women in here will hate if they're being honest. Uh, Valentine's Day is probably the worst holiday. <laughs> See, I heard a man say amen. All right. No, but seriously, it is built upon this idea of love that is so not biblical of what love really is. You know, the, what Valentine's Day is in the world today is just all built off of, off of infatuation, right? It's all built off of physical attraction. And, you know, if, you like, if you're a kid and you like someone, you give them the most candies, right? And I'm probably just saying that because I was the kid in school that didn't get any candies. Uh, but, you know, anyway. Uh, but I wanted to talk this morning about what real love is. And so the title of my sermon is, What is Love? And I know that sounds funny. Uh, Robert's back there laughing because we were joking about the song this morning. Uh, but uh, no, but w before we start talking about our family relationships and um, really the closer relationships in the rest of the book of Ephesians, uh, we need to really understand what love is. It is because the reason why is because that governs the rest of the book of Ephesians. You have to really understand love before you understand the type of submission that we're to have to one another's or um, when you're disciplining your children. You have to understand love before you get into any of those things. Uh, we are to do everything out of real godly love for one another. And so uh, before we get dive into God's word this morning, uh, I want to go ahead and pray and then we'll open up. Dear Lord, uh, thank you so much, Lord, for... Uh, sending your son uh, to come and die for us, Lord, and then really expressing the ultimate love that anyone could express. Uh, I pray, Lord, that as we move forward this morning, uh, that you just allow us to dive into your word and allow it to seep into our hearts and uh, to rest there, Lord, and help us to understand what you have to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're not actually going to be in the book of Ephesians today. Uh, we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, and this is a famous chapter in 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, it's called the love chapter, right? Like that's, it's, it's the one that always gets talked about at weddings and everything. Uh, the funny thing is, is that this, this really shouldn't be uh, a wedding chapter, right? What 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about is godly love, right? It's really the love that Jesus had for us when he came and died for us. That's that's the love that we are to emulate in our relationships, and so that is a good thing. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, when, when they're talking about this um, at weddings and stuff, they kind of take it out of context a little bit. My wife is probably smiling right now because she wrote a paper on this uh, when she was in college. So anyway, but uh, this chapter uh, is such a good chapter for really understanding true godly love. Um, if you have your King James Bibles, it says charity throughout there. Just know it's the, it's the word agape there. That is uh, agape love is the sacrificial love. And we're going to get into that a little bit more this morning. And so uh, to start off this morning, I really wanted to talk about what is the importance of love? The importance of love. Um, this is verses 1 through 3 in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, this is why Paul is stating this here. Uh, we need to understand that everything we do as believers needs to be done out of love. Otherwise, it, what are we doing it for, right? Uh, it's not going to be taken well if we do things not out of love. And so uh, verses 1 through 3, 
And this is talking about some of those uh, miraculous spiritual gifts there. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And so first of all, he talks about this spiritual gift of tongues, right? And one of the things that was happening there in the Corinthian church is people were using the gift of tongues to kind of show off. Uh, that, that's what was going on there. So they were saying, well, if, you're, if you really believe it, you, know, you get these spiritual gifts. And they were just doing that stuff. And what it, Paul is saying here is if you're just doing that and you don't have love, you're a clanging cymbal or you're sounding brass. Uh, basically, you're a really annoying noise and that's all you're doing, right? Uh, that's what Paul is saying there about the gift of tongues without love, right? Uh, and so the, that's that first verse there. So you need to speak with love. Essentially, that's what we can take from that today. Uh, and then he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move, uh, remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, right? So if I'm this super smart guy and I'm throwing these things out to you and I don't love you, you're not going to think very well of me, are you? <laughs> right? You're going to be like, oh, this is just the guy that likes showing off his knowledge, right? We need to be doing things out of love. If you have knowledge, right? If you know the Bible really well, uh, this happens sometimes with people that know the languages really well. Uh, they like to beat people with knowledge, right? Uh, you don't want to do that. If you, know, if you have knowledge, you should be wanting to share it to educate other people so that they can share in that knowledge because you love them and you want them to get better too, right? It's done, it needs to be done out of love and not just trying to show that you're better than other people. And that's, again, what people were doing with prophecy and things like that at the time. And then he says, and though I bestow all my goods to, so this is really getting to the heart of the matter here. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, so if I'm you know, doing all this charity and everything, uh, and then he says, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So it doesn't even look good to God when you just do all of these things and your heart's not in the right place. Understand that when Jesus was here and he was talking to the Pharisees, right? And they kept all the letter of the law. They did all these things. They gave to charity because the Bible told them to. Uh, but their hearts weren't in the right place. So Jesus was saying, no, you, your heart needs to be in the right place too. You know, when he talks about uh, adultery uh, in that passage, he says, you know, well, yeah, you're concerned with your actions. But if you look at a woman with lust, you're committing adultery in your heart, right? Or if you hate your neighbor, you're committing murder in your heart. And so we need to be very aware of where our hearts are. And so understand that even if you could give to the poor and everything, if you're, if you're doing that, if you're not doing it out of love, if you're doing it out because you want people to see you giving to the poor, uh, that's not a good thing. That doesn't profit you anything before God. Even to the point where you would be martyred, uh, if you're not doing it for the right reason, it doesn't profit you anything before God, right? And so that's the importance of love, right? 
We need to understand that love is the essential thing that we need to be doing things out of. Uh, love for our neighbor and obviously love for God. So what is real love then? So we, we talked about the importance of having love for others. What is real love? And I just talked about not beating people with uh, the languages and stuff, but I'm going to talk about the languages a little bit, sorry. Uh, hopefully this isn't too boring, but what is real love? And so in the New Testament, um, there are four, and actually not all of these are used, but there are four Greek words for love. Now, in our day, we only have one, so it's like, that. this is why we get mixed up today on what love is. Understand that uh, only one of these fits what the world says is love today. Uh, so the first one, and this is the one that everybody should be familiar with, uh, is eros. Uh, that is romantic love. And so that's, that's the love that we have for Valentine's Day and things like that. This is, the, this is like the infatuation. This is physical attraction here. Now, this love uh, is not by itself a bad thing, right? Uh, understand that you know, you wouldn't be have been attracted to your spouse if not for this love, right? So that's a good thing, but you should you know move past that. That is uh, uh, the lowest really the lowest form of love is just the physical attraction. So eros, the romantic love. This is again this is the love that the world likes to focus on uh, because this is love that can ease the most easiest uh, the most easiest. Uh, this is the one that the most easily can turn into sin. So this is the one that can turn into lust uh, the easiest. So this is the one that we have to be careful of, uh, eros, romantic love. Another type of love, and this is, this is uh, an awesome form of love. Uh, this is kind of mentioned in the Bible. Uh, it's, uh, there's a form of this word that is uh, mentioned in the Bible, uh, and it's referred to a lot, but the word isn't used like this, but it's storge. Uh, so if you think of a stork, right? But what does a stork do? They bring the babies, right? Uh, so storge is parental love. Now, this is a, obviously, if you're not a parent, this is one that uh, is very hard to understand. But the love that a parent has for their children, or familial love, is very different than the romantic love, obviously. But it's also different from the bro brotherly love that you have. You know, I, I, we were up at the mountains uh, yesterday, and I, I saw my kids playing, and it, they're very cute. I, lo I love them a lot. I, I think my kids are the cutest, but I'm biased there. Uh, but I was looking at my two daughters running around and playing in the snow and stuff, and um, I was just saying to myself, I would do anything for those two little girls. I literally would do anything for them. Uh, and I was thinking about that. That's that story gay love, you know, that parental love that we have. I honestly believe that storge love is the closest that we can come in this world today to understanding even a little bit of the love that God has for us. We can never truly understand the love of God, but we can get pretty close. And I think the closest is looking at your children and saying, I, I would do anything for those kids, right? Um, and so that is the parental love. That is storge. Also, there's philos. Uh, this is, you know, you, you've heard of uh, Philadelphia, right? Uh, or, uh, yeah, so Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? Uh, philos is brotherly love or fondness. So this is 
This is like, hey, we're buddies, okay? Uh, this, is, uh, this is the type of love that you have for your friends. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily sacrificial love yet, right? And we're going to get to that. Uh, but this is, you know, a fondness for a friend, right? Now, the love that is the real godly love that we should all be striving for, uh, that we should all be growing towards, is agape, agape love. And so this is the, the famous biblical love here. This is godly love or sacrificial love. There's some passages here that are very interesting, talking about agape love and brotherly love and really kind of showing the difference between the two. And there is a distinct difference, difference between them. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Uh, this is a pretty famous uh, passage here. Uh, this is when Jesus is talking to Peter uh, and uh you know, he's saying, you know, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep. And do you love me? You know, over and over again. And you, when you just look at the English of this passage, you don't quite get the significance of what is happening here. And so I'm going to break it down. But John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, I'm going to read it through and then I'll break it down a little bit so we can really understand this passage. It says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. And so that's a pretty significant passage, even just looking at the English. You go, okay, well, God, you know, the Lord is saying this, uh, Jesus is saying this to Peter three times. It's very significant there. It's even more significant when you understand the words they're using. Because remember, in the Greek, there's different words for love. And so Jesus, in a way, is speaking a different language than Peter's speaking. Okay? So the first time that Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? Right? He says, he uses the word agape. Right? This is the godly, sacrificial love. And so he's saying, you know, do you have this sacrificial love more than the other disciples? Right? Peter responds, and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But what word does Peter use? He uses philos. And so Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these? And Peter's saying, yes, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. You know that we're buddies, right? Again, they're kind of speaking two different languages there. Uh, so Jesus says, feed my lambs. So if you love me, you feed my lambs, right? He says the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? So that second time, he still uses the word agape there. He still uses the sacrificial love. But you notice he removes the more than these words there. So he's no longer comparing Peter to the rest. He's like, so now Jesus is saying, do you have this love for me at all? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you again. 
you know, I'm fond of you. So Peter's not kind of coming up to the level that Jesus wants him to be at. Now, when Jesus says the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? What word do you think he uses now, the third time? He doesn't use agape this third time. He uses philos. And so Jesus is now saying, Peter, are you even fond of me? And Jesus, uh, or sorry, Peter is now hurt. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I'm fond of you, all right? And now Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. So now, so what Jesus is saying here is if you have sacrificial love for me more than others, okay, you'll feed my sheep. If you have sacrificial love for me at all, you'll feed my sheep. Peter's not living up to that expectation. And so Jesus now says, Peter, if you're even fond of me, if you're, we're even buddies like we who say you are, you'll feed my sheep. And so Peter does not have that level of sacrificial love that Jesus wants him to have at this point in his life. What's so awesome about Peter, though, is Peter doesn't stay that way. Uh, now, in 2 Peter, this is at the end of Peter's life, this is uh, right before he's going to be martyred. In 2 Peter verses 5 through 7, this is another kind of famous passage here. Uh, it's talking about the Christian virtues. But it's very significant that this is coming from Peter here. And it's very significant after reading the other passage. It says, uh, it's starting verse 5, it says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and notice verse 7, and to godliness brotherly kindness, that's that word philos in the Greek, and to brotherly kindness love, which is the word agape. And so Peter, now at the end of his life, he's trying to pass on knowledge that he's learned. And he said, you need to add to your brotherly kindness, this fondness that you have, you need to add to that love. You need to add to that agape. So Peter didn't get it when Jesus was telling him. But throughout his life, he got it. And now he's trying to pass that knowledge on. Right? He's trying to say, don't, basically, don't make the same mistakes I did. You need to grow in your faith. And so all of these different forms of love right, need to ultimately grow into sacrificial love. You know, if you think about eros, right, the romantic love, well, that should grow into a familial love. You should get married to the person that you're attracted to, have children, and that should be familial love there and ultimately you should be willing to die for your spouse that sacrificial love right uh, that you should be willing to put their needs ahead of your needs and so love needs to grow into the agape love now I'm going to talk about let's talk about sacrificial love a little bit more and we're going to move on to verse four here what does sacrificial love look like i'm just going to spoiler alert sacrificial love looks like what jesus did for us on the cross that's 
that's sacrificial love. That's the bar that we're, we're to meet, right? And God does expect us to grow to that, to that amount of love. Some people will say, well, we can't possibly have uh, that type of love in our lives. That's godly love. We can't ever understand it. Uh, I'm sorry. Jesus wouldn't have told us to do it if we couldn't do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says, love suffers long in his kind. Remember, this is godly love here. This is the love that Jesus has for us. Love suffers long in his kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. And so first of all, love suffers long in his kind. It means, you know, patient there. That's what long suffering means. <clears throat> Sorry, just a second. Love suffers long and is kind. I love that the word patient means long-suffering, right? Uh, and we, we read this here. That is patience there, to suffer long. You know, think about that. When you're having patience with your children, are you suffering long for them? <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that, right? Uh, but that's the type of patience that we need to have from one another and not only that we need to do that with kindness right so if you're being patient with someone but you're angry the whole time you're not really being patient or loving right also it says here love does not envy now this is how mixed up our world is today if i say the word jealousy you're gonna think well yeah that's a bad thing right uh that's probably worse than envy right and so the world today think, doesn't think of envy really as a bad thing. Want, they go, oh, well, you just want things. Understand that when you look at the Bible, it's flipped. Envy is terrible in the Bible. Jealousy is not bad in the Bible. You are supposed to be jealous over certain things. Uh, the, the difference is, is envy is wanting something that you can't have. Jealousy is keeping something that you already have, right? And so men should have a certain amount of jealousy over their wife. That's a good thing. And you look at Paul, right? And Paul had an amount of jealousy over the churches that he helped start, which meant he wanted to protect them from other ideas coming in, right? Now, if you think about this in a marriage, right, uh, you are supposed to have a certain amount of jealousy. Is it smart to say to your spouse, okay, you can go be with the opposite sex. I don't, I don't care if you have some friends and you're alone with them. No, no big deal. That's just not smart. You should have a certain amount of jealousy there. That is a good thing. But envy is bad, right? Envy is desiring what you don't have. That's sinful against God because that's showing that you're not content with what God has given you. So love does not envy. Love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. So it's not doesn't brag, right? Uh, you're not you, you know what it means to be puffed up, right? It's that's that's being full of yourself, right? Love doesn't do that. And when you think about this with Christ, Christ came and was born in a manger. Right. The ultimate, you know, I mean, just even being born here, you're, he was 
God and came, was born in human flesh. That's an act of humility there. Then to be obedient to the cross, even further humility. So if Christ is our example, yeah, definitely we need to not be puffed up. We need to not think better of ourselves. And then verse 5, it continues on these traits of what real love looks like. It says, does not behave rudely. That's a pretty easy one to understand. Does not seek its own. When you look, look at that, those words, does not seek its own, uh, that's talking about not looking after its own interests. Right? So if you really love someone else, you are going to put their interests before your own. Is not provoked. That's another one that I, I have a hard time with sometimes. Sometimes I definitely get provoked. <laughs> but uh, we need to not, we need to be working against that, right? Thinks no evil. This is one that's very hard for people sometimes. Sometimes we want, sometimes it pops into our head, you know, that, you know, they're, they're, oh, they're, do, they're doing something bad or whatever, even when they're not, right? If your first assumption is that someone else did something wrong, that's, that's not real love. Thinks no evil, right? Now, that doesn't mean that you just are ignorant to the things that are in front of you. I will say that. But you shouldn't, your first assumption should not be uh, that there's evil going on. Verse 6. And this is a, an important one that the world should pay attention to here. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Does not rejoice in iniquity. You know what iniquity means, right? It means sin. So love, real love, does not rejoice in sin. And so all of the people... They're in sinful relationships. I'm going to leave it right there. Sinful relationships outside of marriage, right? That's not real love. It can't be because it's sin. But rejoices in the truth, right? We know what the truth is in the Bible, and that's Jesus Christ, right? So rejoices in Christ. Verse 7 it says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So what you should notice there with that verse is it says all things, right? And so that is not the emphasis of these, but more so what you are doing in all things is the emphasis here. But notice that with everything, we are to be doing these so it says bears all things, right? What does it mean to bear all things? It means to bear alone. That means to help carry one another's burdens, right? So in all things, you are being supportive and you are sharing the load, right? So bears all things, believes all things. And so this is like the opposite of thinks no evil, right? Uh, or basically the same thing as thinks no evil. But if you think evil of someone else, right? You are thinking that they are doing something wrong all the time, right? But what here it's telling us to do, right, is to believe all things. So you're supposed to assume the best. 
Don't assume the worst. And hope's all things. We have to have hope for the future. This is a bright outlook on life, so to speak. And endures all things. Understand that if you love someone, or you think you love someone, and at the first sign of trouble you give up, that's not real love, right? We are to endure all things together. If people paid more attention to that, there would be a lot less divorce in this world. It's a very sad thing. You know, people just like, I just don't love them anymore. And then, <laughs> then they split up, right? Or we just had some differences. It, it's amazing the types of things that people will say when they try to justify being, getting divorced. And then we see here, at the very end, and this is, you know, this is really a, a, a verse that we look at as missionary Baptists, especially when we talk about cessation of miracles. Uh, but uh, verse 8 here, love never fails. Love never fails. And so we talk about all the spiritual gifts, right? If you were here, uh, I think it was a Sunday night when I talked about spiritual gifts. Uh, we talked about this, that love never fails so love being a spiritual gift the charity there uh that will never go away everything else is going to be gone at some point even hope and faith right once christ come comes back you there's you don't need to hope anymore your your savior is right in front of you you don't need to have faith anymore because you can see him right in front of you love is going to be the thing that remains for eternity it's pretty awesome and so let's look at verse 8. It says, love never fails. Now remember what he said uh, at the beginning of this passage, talking about prophecies and tongues and all, all of that stuff. He says, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And so all of those things are going to stop. But the, things, the thing that's going to stay is love is love love is the most important thing so in conclusion this morning as the pianist and song leader come i want to talk to you so i want to answer that question what is real love what is real love and there's something that i've been kind of avoiding during this sermon that i'm going to talk about right now but i kind of said it at the beginning Real love is Jesus Christ coming and dying for our sins. I want to read a couple more verses, and these aren't back there, Cameron, sorry. Um, John 3, 16. Famous, famous verse. The most famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if someone ever asks, how could God send people to hell? Uh, how could God send his son to come and die so that you don't have to come go to hell? That's how much love God has for us. John 15, 13. This is Jesus speaking here. It says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
Jesus said that before, obviously before he was going to go to the cross. And understand something here. This would be amazing on its own right if, if we were Jesus' friends when he came and died for us. But we know that if you're not saved, you're at enmity with God. You're an enemy of God if you are not saved. And so what really Jesus came and did is he came and died for his enemies so that we could be saved. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so understanding love, right? You have to understand the love that God has for you, the love that Jesus has for you, that he came and died for all of your sins. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, understand that you can have that ultimate love this morning. Understand that all you need to do is repent of your sins. It's already been paid. Jesus already died for your sins. All you need to do is accept it. So repent, say, I'm sorry, Lord. And ask him to come and save you. That's all you have to do this morning. And you will be spending eternity with him. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do that this morning. And you will share in that love that God has for us. And then you can, that will help you understand everything else in life. I actually, uh, I heard a, someone talking about this. Uh, and I thought this would be kind of prudent to share with you. I heard another pastor talking about this and he was talking to someone that um, was smoking weed right and this person said well if I if I become a Christian do I have to stop smoking weed <laughs> and the pastor said no no uh, and he goes what what really and he goes he, he says well I are you sure I don't have to stop no you don't have to stop he so he says do you have to take do you have to clean yourself before you go and take a shower? Do you have to get clean before you take a shower? No. He says, so here's what's gonna happen. If you accept Jesus, then Jesus is gonna start working on you and you're gonna want to get clean. Right? And so what I, if you take that and apply that to any other sin in your life, don't think that you need to stop sinning before you accept Jesus. Accept Jesus, and then you're gonna want to stop sinning. Okay? Jesus came and died for your sins. Again, think about it. You don't need to go clean yourself before you take a shower. It's why you take a shower, right? The reason why we accept Jesus is because he's going to come and fix us. Don't be afraid to ask Jesus to come and save you. That's what it's there for. That's what redemption is there for. Do that this morning. Repent and believe.